You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. My name's Jamin. If you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Welcome to Citizens Church. If you're watching online, maybe you've been doing that for a long time, or maybe this is your first time. Welcome. We're thrilled to to have you. Uh, We have a special, special treat this morning. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Pennington is here. And he will be, yes, praise God, and he will be uh, preaching this morning. Uh, we had a conference this weekend called One Kingdom Conference. It was incredible, and Dr. Pennington was our uh, keynote speaker for that. And because he was going to be in town for the conference, I asked him if he would hang around for Sunday morning and uh, would, would teach us this morning. So Dr. Pennington is an accomplished theologian, an accomplished scholar. He has a Ph.D., from the University of St. Andrews. He teaches New Testament at Southern Seminary. He also is on staff uh, at a local church there in Louisville, Kentucky. And so he is a true uh, pastor theologian, which I love that about him. And here's what you need to know about Dr. Pennington. Um, He wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount called The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. And uh, that book was largely the reason why we went through a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount two years ago. Uh, He wrote a book called Jesus as Philosopher, and that book is largely why, in a lot, of re- a lot of ways, why we're currently in a sermon series on wisdom. So you have been uh, influenced by, you have been encouraged by, you have benefited from uh, his, his writings and his... I don't know what's happening to my throat right now. Hold on. That's God telling me it's Dr. Pennington's turn to preach. So um, <clears throat> anyway, you have benefited from his influence uh, in his writings. And so I'm, I'm grateful that he's here, grateful that you get to hear from him. And what I'm hoping is in the time that he's here this morning, he'll give us an idea of what the next sermon series is that we're going to do. So uh, no pressure, Dr. Pennington, but you come up and uh, we will be eager to hear from you. I, I know I told you this Friday night, but I just want you to know uh, the quieter they are, that, that means they love more and more what you're saying. At least that's what I tell myself every Sunday. So here you go. Would you welcome Dr. Pennington, please? Well, that's very kind. It is an absolute joy to be here. I come to Texas a lot uh, for the other village churches as well. It's my first time here at Citizens, and it's, it's absolutely a delight, so thank you. Um, my wife and I have been blessed with six kids. Uh, they're ages 26 down to 17. Uh, and so we, uh, you know, our lives have been very full. Uh, as I think back over the last 15 years of kind of the, the growing up years, one of the things that's really marked our lives is that we've been able to spend a lot of time in Florida, various teaching things I've been down there for. And we love Florida. We love the, you know, going to the amusement parks. We love the beaches, et cetera. But I often think now, at, now as we're getting the end of our of our kids' uh, you know, young life, that if we were to play back a video of my whole life, there'd be a whole significant section which would be dedicated to my wife and I putting suntan lotion on children, right? If you, if you have young children, you know that every time you go to the beach, it's like that takes forever. And as I think back to those, those years, that's certainly a big part of it. Well, last year, our whole family went on a vacation to Florida, and it was so nice that I didn't have to do that at all. Um, I, ha- I was totally free from all of that. Um, hashtag no more little kids, hashtag it's nice to be in your 50s. I mean, it was just absolutely wonderful that I'd have that burden of it. And 
you know, I was able to be on the beach by 6 a.m. with my own chair, with a book, and just have no responsibility. It was absolutely wonderful. And I really do love being at the ocean. You know, it's so mysterious, it's powerful, it's scary, really, and beautiful at the same time. And whenever I'm at the ocean, it creates in me, I think, simultaneously a sense of peace and of smallness, like I'm aware of how small and limited I am, but also it's very peaceful at the same time. And one of the days when I was sitting there with my kids in my chair, enjoying no responsibilities, my uh, you know, young adult sons decided that they were going to do the classic thing, which is to you know, build a sandcastle and, and try to build it as, as gloriously as they could and you know, while the tide is coming in. And so they're, you know, they're joyfully and frantically piling up sand as much as they could, compacting it together, right? And it always looked like they were making progress for a minute, of course, until another tide wave comes in. Now, because I'm no longer a dad of young kids, instead of helping them, I just sat there in my chair and entered into full dad joke mode and just, you know, ridiculed them basically for saying, uh, you can do it. You can build a, a same castle that will last forever. I know humans for millennia have not been able to do it, but yours will be different. You, you will build a sand castle that will not be wiped away. And we all laughed as they engaged in their futile efforts. Now, you, you don't have to go to the beach very often or many times to realize that, in fact, the ocean always does win. No matter what you do, when you're at the ocean, the ocean wins. Our, our sandcastles, our houses that we build along the water, always, uh, the ocean always wins against them. Do you know that the state of Florida imports millions of cubic tons of sand to their beaches, usually from the Bahamas, every year? Right? They're having to add sand because the ocean always wins. And that truth is actually part of a more fundamental truth that really time always wins. I mean, given enough time, everything that we as humans experience and everything that we as humans build and create and dream about will eventually die and decay. Time always wins. Even the healthiest crossfitter will eventually get an injury or a cancer or joints that don't work. The wealthiest family given enough time, will eventually lose that status and power. There is always someone who is the last person of a great American dynasty. The prettiest people will eventually be old and wrinkly and saggy, and their beautiful bodies will stop functioning. The most famous and powerful people in the world, if we were to make a list of like really famous and powerful people, almost every one of them will be forgotten within 100 years. Very few people will be remembered. As they say at the casino, if you play long enough, the house always wins. And that is the human experience. Time always wins over us as time-bound creatures. And this, friends, is what the Bible calls hevel. H-E-V-E-L. That's a, that's a Hebrew word that is the dominant word in a really weird and important Old Testament book called the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the word that occurs all throughout that book. And that word hevel, a lot of times is translated vanity. But maybe that's not quite maybe the best way to say it. It's something more like the sense of futility 
or really even, what the word really means, hevel means like vapor or smoke. The idea is that our, our, our experience is one that everything is like vapor and smoke, that time always wins. And here at, at Citizens Church, I know you are going through this uh, great sermon series on wisdom. And for my contribution to it, I thought we'd go back to that Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book of wisdom, a weird one, and think with you about how it might contribute to our understanding of what wisdom is. Last summer, I'm a pastor in Louisville, and last summer at our church, we preached 12 weeks uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it had a huge impact on our church, especially concentrating on this idea of the futility that we feel in life. And so today, uh, whether you're 8 or 80, young or old or anything else, I want to invite us to pay attention to God's wisdom today on this issue of the fact that time always wins and that it makes us sense the feeling that we do have of vapor. And so we're going to be in the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12. I'll be reading from the NIV. Uh, if you have the ESV or something, it's, it's going to be pretty similar. It might be slightly different. We'll put the words on the screen as well. And the first thing, I want to look at chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. So if you can find Ecclesiastes, it's somewhere buried there in the Old Testament, or we'll put the words on the screen as well. But first, what we see is that this teacher who's teaching about wisdom from Jerusalem First, he talks about rejoicing in our youth. He addresses the young. And anyone who's paying attention can track with my words all the way up to those who have crested life's hill. This really applies to almost all of us, what he says. Look at chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. The teacher of wisdom says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Light is sweet. That means basically it's good to be alive, that life is good, that breath is beautiful. So the teacher of wisdom is saying, enjoy each day that you've been given. This is the point that actually you'll see all throughout Ecclesiastes. So young people, and that includes adolescents and teenagers, you in your 20s and 30s especially, contrary to what you might have been told, the Bible and Christianity are not opposed to pleasure. The Bible and Christianity are not anti-pleasure or anti-joy or anti-life experiences. Christianity is not a religion that's trying to curb and control and rob you of real living. Just the opposite. God throughout the whole Bible is inviting you and me into the fullness of life. Nowhere in the Bible or in the book of Ecclesiastes or anywhere will you be rebuked for enjoying life. Indeed, to enjoy life fullest, as we just read, is what the Bible is commanding us to do. To live fully, to live wholeheartedly, and to take pleasure in each day as God has made it is exactly what honors God. Not enjoying the goodness and life of creation would be like a child who, when you give them this amazing present, a toy helicopter, a new iPad, whatever it is, they just toss it over their shoulder and go on with their life. The, the giving of a gift is honored by receiving it. And God is the one who made the world and he has made your lives and he is saying, I want you to enjoy your life. And then look what the teacher says in verse nine. So you who are young, be happy while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. 
follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. In other words, YOLO is real. <laughs> we, we really do only live once under the sun. To hold back from living is to deny what it means to be a creature of God, one who's breathed his breath into your lungs. But, but, the teacher doesn't stop there. Because if all you and I have is YOLO, to drive our philosophy of life, we will end up making a wreck of our lives. In other words, if you understand verse 9 to mean that you can just do whatever you feel like doing all the time, every day, then that would be equivalent to eating a Snickers blizzard for every meal. It may feel good for a little while. You may get a little jolt of energy, but it's going to rot your, to your teeth and your soul and your body. I'm not food shaming anyone here, by the way. This is where the teacher of Ecclesiastes and really the whole Bible, God's word, is so nuanced and so wise and so worthy of listening to to guide our lives. Because in the same breath that we are told to live fully and to rejoice in our lives under the sun, we are reminded that we have to do this with wisdom. Look at the text again. It says, light is sweet, it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless or vapor, hevel. You who are young, be happy while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and wherever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment or evaluation. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off all the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are vapor or hevel. Do you, do you see and do you feel the wisdom here? It's saying, live fully, rejoice in your life under the sun, but, or maybe better, and do it wisely. There's always a way to live youthfully and fully that will bring you true life, but there's a way to live youthfully and fully that will bring you grief. How do you live fully without being fools? Well, it was right there in the text. It says, enjoy the light fully while remembering that darkness will come. Follow your heart while remembering that we do have to stand before God. You see, God's wisdom is so perfect and so beautiful. Because wisdom, you see, is always the middle way between two foolish options. Virtue is the middle way between two vices. On the one hand, one foolish way would be to, to not really live, to be afraid to live fully and just kind of protect yourself. But the other foolish way on the other side would be to live without remembering that you did not make yourself and that you're, you will die. I know those words about darkness and a, and a divine judgment, they might feel to you like the opposite of living fully and wholeheartedly. But the truth is that all good things do come to an end, that light will turn to darkness, and that God who created us is watching us. And I know that might cause many of you to want to shrink back from life, to be afraid, but again, that's to fall off 
into the foolishness of not honoring God with the life he's given you. So God is inviting you and me into wisdom, to learning over time with mistakes and missteps, learning to live wholeheartedly and fully as his creatures, to embrace what I love the French phrase, la joie de vivre, the, the joy of life, not burying the talents of our soul in the ground out of fear, but remembering that we are limited and we will die. I love how the Christian scholar David Noggle, who was in Dallas for a long time, he died just a couple years ago or in the last year, I love how he sums it up. He says, despite the stereotypes, the Christian life is, uh, the Christian faith is life affirming rather than life denying. It encourages believing people to discover what it means to be fully and truly human, to live exuberantly and fruitfully as God's creatures, abiding in God's creation that was and still is very good. St. Irenaeus summed it up, the glory of God is a person fully alive. And this is what Ecclesiastes is emphasizing here at the very end of this long and weird book. To be a creature is to be one who is fully alive while remembering their creator. So the teacher starts with that call to the young, honor the Lord in your youth by living fully and wisely, but he doesn't stop there. If you look on into chapter 12, the first eight verses, then he talks about remembering our old age. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at those first couple of verses of chapter 12. So remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. In other words, rejoice in your youth again, but do so remembering that your youth is fleeting. It is hevel. And in chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, the teacher actually gives, if you let your eyes rest upon it, he gives this powerful set of really dark uh, metaphors and dark images that are really describing the reversal of the Garden of Eden. If you just let your eyes look over chapter 12, verses 1 and 8, he talks about the sun and moon going dark. That's the picture of the end of creation. He talks about once strong men now stooping and drooping. He talks about young brides becoming old widows. You know that moment when you saw like a picture of your great-grandparents when they were in their 20s? Isn't that the weirdest thing? Like, wow, they were actually good looking or something, right? The, that is such a good reminder moment to remember that the people that you think of as old people, you younger people, they were, they were your age at once, right? Not that long ago. And this is one of these images that the, the teacher uses, say, imagine this young bride now being a widow, Industries that were once thriving will cease, he says. Skies that were once filled with birdsong are now silent. The grasshopper, once full of life and song, now drags its legs along before dying. That's one of the images he uses. Silver cords that were once hung around a woman's neck are now broken and lost, he says. Golden bowls, beautiful glassware is shattered. And then using language from Genesis, humans, he says, who are made from dust, will return to dust, and the breath and spirit that once filled our lungs will return to God. These are very powerful words, even discouraging images, 
Because the idea is that all of, the, uh, all of this reflection of life under the sun coming to an end, this is why the teacher says then in 12.8, it's meaningless, it's futile, it's hevel, it's vapor. Everything feels meaningless. And that sense of futility is the appropriate response when we are honest about our lives. When you're younger, it's hard to appreciate, but as you get older, as things break and as things break down and as losses mount up, that sense of futility is entirely, entirely accurate. Maybe it's when you're standing at a, at a pumping gas at a station or you're at a stoplight or maybe when you first wake up in the morning, when you actually think honestly about your life, when you're not just running busy and you realize it's losses and it's brokenness, it is understandable that you feel this sense of futility. I think many of you this morning are maybe feeling that. Whenever I read Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 8, I think of this great poem from um, Dylan Thomas. Maybe you've seen it. It's been used in a lot of places. He says, do not go gentle. He's speaking of old age and the death of his father. He says to his father, do not go gentle into that good night Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, they rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men, who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late, they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death, who see with blinding eyes, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on that sad height, curse, bless me now with fierce Tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I love that poem because it really captures what is every honest human's experience. That sooner or later, you will feel the futility of our lives. And so here at the end, the teacher here at the end of, of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, and what I'm doing as a teacher to you today is to invite you, what God is doing is inviting you to wake up and be honest about the futility of all of our lives. And then to finish up this book of wisdom, there's one final move. We can call this the framing and naming in chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, this is, listen to what it, what's written not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. And he pondered, and he searched out and set in order many proverbs. And the teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. So be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there's no end, and much study wearies the body." So what, what we have in the book of Ecclesiastes is that throughout the book, we've been hearing from this wisdom teacher in Jerusalem, and now here at the end, 
his faithful disciples have kind of stepped in and put like a, a conclusion to the book. It's real similar to what happens like at the end of the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, where after Moses has died, uh, Joshua probably is the one who kind of puts like a little epilogue at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, or we could say we could find that in other places in the Bible as well. Well, so too here in chapter 12, verses 9 to 12, we're given from God this sort of framing of how to understand what the teacher has taught us. And we learn that the teacher's sayings throughout the book of Ecclesiastes are like goads. You know what a goad is? A goad is like a, is a stick with like a nail or some kind of prod in it that you direct animals with. It's a shepherding image, but we're used to more of a little bit more gentle shepherding image of a crook. This is saying that a lot of times the things that we read throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and other parts of the Bible, they're like goads. They remind us. They remind us of, say, the futility of our lives and the futility of, of money and all these things. And, and what this book does and what Ecclesiastes is just doing here at the end is it's being really honest with us and saying that the sense of futility is what marks our lives. And then if you look at the last two verses, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. So now, as all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So if chapter 12, verses 9 to 12 are like the frame around the picture of Ecclesiastes, these last two verses are like the title of the picture. It's like the, the little title at the bottom of the frame saying, if you want to understand what this all means, what do we do? The answer is fear God and keep his commandments. And when you read through Ecclesiastes, it is brutally honest and earthy. It's really more about human frustrations than about God. So in some ways, this conclusion feels a little weird that all of a sudden God kind of pops back up at the end. But this is the perfect and natural conclusion to this whole book of wisdom if we understand what it means to fear God and keep his commandments. What does it mean to fear God? You know, the, the fear of the Lord is, a, is something we see a lot in the Bible, including in the book of Proverbs, which I know you've seen, you've heard some sermons out of that as well, where we learn that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I'm afraid we probably often misunderstand what the fear of the Lord means. It doesn't mean fear in the sense of like a, a horror film or anxiety. Sometimes we translate it as reverence, but maybe that's probably too sterile. Here's how I think we should think about the fear of the Lord and especially how it fits into Ecclesiastes. To live in the fear of the Lord and obedience to God is living as creatures that remember that there is a God who is your creator. In other words, the fear of the Lord is this fundamental orientation of our hearts to recognize our limits, to recognize that we are only creatures, we are not the creator. It's not, it's not living anxiously, afraid that God might get us. There's nothing in the Bible that reveals God that way. It's not living as I often do. I was aware of this when I woke up this morning living where you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop? How many of you live that way? You don't have to raise your hands, but there's a lot of good things in my life. I'm so thankful for so many wonderful blessings in my life, 
And when things are going well, I often have this deep sense of, well, it's only a matter of time till something bad happens. Have you feel that way? That's a deficient view of God. That's a kind of wrong sense of the fear of the Lord that we have to live in this kind of anxious relationship with him. Living in the fear of the Lord, I think, is living fully and wholeheartedly, but aware that we are merely creatures. We are limited. We're time-bound. We're imperfect. We're dependent on every moment upon someone else, our creator. To live in the fear of the Lord is to really embrace our radical dependence as one who isn't in control. I'm really not in control of my life. To fear God is to recognize that our lives under the sun will have an end, maybe today, maybe in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but they will have an end. To fear God is to say to our creator, I am not God, you are, I am vapor, you are everlasting. The fear of the Lord and obeying his, his instructions is this posture of heart, recognizing our limits and recognizing his limitlessness. And that, friends, is the very beginning of wisdom. And that's why, and, and this is what Ecclesiastes is telling us, that there are all these powerful words that feel like goads that challenge us. They're trying to direct us back to this. And I think I'd sum it up, this, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, with this statement that we creatures will only find life when we live remembering our creator. That is the, I think that is this, the great wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes is live fully. God cares about you, live, about you living fully, but you will only live fully when you remember that you're a creature and that God is your creator. So this invitation to fear God, to keep his commandments like all of the Bible, it's an invitation to wisdom. It's an, not an invitation to be afraid of God. It's an invitation recognizing that he has made you. He wants you to flourish and thrive. He's made the sun and the moon and the stars and all these things. And he is inviting you through all of the Bible and through his people and ultimately through the ultimate manifestation of himself through Jesus Christ, the word of God in the flesh. He's inviting you into life because you will only find it as you align yourself with the one who made you. You've probably heard the, the famous Latin phrase, carpe diem, which we translate, maybe you've got a bumper sticker of that or something, which is often translated into English as seize the day, and that it would, kind of became famous in kind of modern times from an old movie, you may know, Dead Poet Society. And there's a truth to that, that, that I think we can understand seize the day to mean live fully and wholeheartedly, but you know what? I hate to ruin your bumper sticker if you've got it. It turns out that's probably not the best translation of that Latin phrase, actually. Because carpe doesn't really mean seize, in the kind of violent sense, what this word means in Latin is actually a, is, it's a gardening image. It's a, it's a gentler image of something more like pluck or pick in the way that you might go to a Michigan blueberry bush and, or your backyard cherry tomato plant or a delicate flower, and you carefully pluck the fruit from it, savoring it so you don't crush it. One author that I love 
talks about this, and he, he, he's, this is where I, I came to understand this, and he, he says that Horace, the, the Latin poet who said carpe diem, he said he was, he was instructing us to pluck the cranberry or blueberry of the day tenderly, free without damaging it. Pick the day, harvest the day, reap the day, forage the day, don't freaking grab the day in your fist like a burger at a fairground and take a big chomping bite out of it. Isn't that a great line? In other words, a wrong reading of Ecclesiastes would be to say, hey, you only live once, do whatever you want to do because you're all gonna die. That sees the day, but God's wisdom, the real wisdom is to say, pluck this day. This day is a gift from the one who created you and sustains you. So pluck it and enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Live it fully. Suck its nectar. But recognize that this is gentle and this is, and this is all you may have. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. Learning to live as a creature in a proper relationship to our creator. So let me just conclude by saying, what does this mean for you and me today or Tuesday afternoon or next month. Teenagers, there's some teenagers in here. I'm so glad you're here. Run with the wind. Live life fully. Enjoy the vigor and strength and wonder of being young. But do this wisely. Remembering that you did not make yourself and you actually can't sustain your life and that some of you are gonna die within the next decade. How will your life be evaluated if that were you? Pluck this day. Enjoy this day, but don't crush it. Don't destroy it. You, teenagers, are building a house that you will live in for the rest of your life. So whether it's a shallow, screen-addicted house, or whether it's one with the solid and beautiful foundations of godly wisdom and friendship, and love, be wise. You who are in your 20s and 30s, this is a difficult time trying to figure out who you are and are you good enough and how are you going to make a living. It's got a lot of joys, but it's got a lot of uncertainties. That's okay. Don't forget in the midst of your drive to figure out who you are. Don't forget to rejoice and enjoy life, to pluck this day, to work hard but don't lose joy. If you go back to Dylan Thomas's poem, you're the wild men. Don't be like them who learn too late to live even now. You middle-aged people, still a lot of joy to be had. I'm in kind of the middle of the middle ages here. Maybe you're beginning to crest the hill of life. I love this stage, like I said. I'm overwhelmingly busy. I was speaking to, to somebody in my church about this, and he said, he, he's a CEO of a healthcare company, and he said on his desk, he has this plaque that he's had there for decades, it says, be here now. I like that. Here's what I tell myself every day throughout my busy days and traveling and all the things I have. I just tell myself, if I could just do this, I'm gonna be present to this person, to this place, to this moment. In all the business of your life, be present to this person, to this place, this moment. That's living 
as one who knows that I'm a, I'm a limited creature created by someone else. And you older than me and the elderly, you know darkness is coming. Don't spend your days pining over the past or afraid of the future. This is precisely the time to embrace your creatureliness, remember your creator, maybe turn back to him. Maybe you gave, gave yourself to your career so much that your heart is hard. Maybe you're here today because you made a wreck of your life during those years you didn't live wisely. It's not too late. It is not too late to remember your creator. You of all people know that life, you know more about life than anyone else here. So use your remaining days in wisdom to turn to the Lord and to turn outward and bless others who are struggling and at other stages of life. Seize the day in the proper sense of, of plucking this day and you will find satisfaction in God. So friends, let me just invite you into the beauty and goodness of God's wisdom and remember him, your creator. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you don't change and that even though that is what marks our lives, we are constantly changing. We're becoming new people, sometimes for better, some for worse, even at the level of ourselves. And yet you don't change. And so we humble ourselves before you and acknowledge you made us. We did not make ourselves. You've shown us yourself ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so please come and fill us with your very spirit and renew in us the faith and wisdom to be connected to you. We thank you for your kindness and mercy toward us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.